Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Garland Pepper Presents podcast. Today, my guest is Eric Brooks. Eric Brooks uh, groomed uh, the basically the hip hop side of Virgin Records and, and really built that up over a decade experience, um, building uh, consumer experiences with, um, with that, bringing it what, up to $20 million in value. Um, I, I was looking at this and I, I know Eric as a friend prior to knowing all his accolades, I'm like, wow, I might not have talked to this guy. He's pretty fancy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he's the first black president of Virgin Records Urban Division and uh, over $75 million in, in revenue generated there through his actions and a former, former executive VP of marketing and promotions at Priority Records, working with really top of the line uh, rappers, NWA, Ice Cube, and Dr. Dre. Wow. So it's basically marketing and operations that, that you are a master in. Um, also in connection, that's the one thing that I recognize in you is your ability to connect and um, really see the value in, in others. It, uh, you have a nice calm demeanor and, and uh, but I've known you more of a, as a spiritual man than, than as a record producer. So there's a whole lot to your life that I would love to explore today. And so let's just go ahead and start in the beginning. Like, where did Eric Brooks begin? You know, I, I, I would say that uh, my beginning really started with football. When I was, I think, 11 or 12, I met a, a coach by the name of Mr. Beck. Uh, who ended up being a really, really super big influence on my life. Uh, and what he taught me was excellence. Mm -hmm. um, we, I played for him and I, I, I was, I was a pretty gifted athlete, but I had never really played any organized sports up until that time. Right. And so mm -hmm. tied up for the football team. I remember actually, um, you know, we played growing up playing tackle football but then, you know, actually putting on pads and actually, actually doing it was like, wow, I was shocked to the system when I was 12 years old. And I remember um, I quickly changed because I remember the first day of practice or tryouts, I actually cried because I was like, whoa, this was a little, <laughs> a little shocking to the system. Um, and then fast, fast forward at the end of the year, I was captain and I was crushing and I was like, I loved to actually hit because what I didn't realize at the time is I had anger issues. Um, so um it started off, yeah, my, the beginning was Mr. Beck. Um, I played for him for two years. We were 24 and two. We only lost two games in that whole two years. Wow. Two Super Bowls back to back. And we, what, it, what that taught me was just the, what it takes to be excellent, what it takes to be great. Um, and it was a lot of hard work, a lot of focus, but a lot of love, ironically, mm -hmm. Mr. Beck was my first real representation, um, an example of, of love outside of my family. You know what I mean? Yeah. I experienced love from, from my mother, but, you know, and, I, and, and in all fairness, I had some really good teachers. I remember my first grade teacher, my third grade teacher, but it was, but there was a difference of someone who's mentoring and coaching you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. What I, what he, what, what I saw was, he saw something special in me and he, and he, he got me, it's almost like the hero's journey or the hero hero story, right? Where mm -hmm. someone actually believes in you more than you believe in yourself. Um, 
Yeah. And so, you know, at the Super Bowl, I actually scored two touchdowns. Um, I was the go-to guy at the end of the, you know, from, from the first day of, of tryouts from crying to actually being the superstar and the hero at the end of the year, the first year when I scored two touchdowns in the Super Bowl. So um, that's a pop Warner league. Yeah, pop, pop Warner. Warner yeah. I didn't know they, they actually did the Super Bowl there, but wow. Yeah. We had, yeah. Back then we had Super Bowl, we Super Bowl status and we played down. Yeah. So yeah, that was my, my, my blueprint um, for um, what it requires to be excellent. And, and I think after that, I just attracted you know, I'm, now that I'm spiritual, I'm all into understanding quantum. And so my um, my history was just really attracting excellence, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But a lot of it came from, you know, me feeling like I was inadequate. You know, my my father was was very gifted and very talented and grew up as a different generation as military and um it didn't express love. And so I always felt like I was not lovable. That was my, my hidden core belief. And so I developed an uh, anxious attachment style to try and prove him wrong and try to, uh, you know, get his, his uh, approval. Um, And so what I did, I ended up being an overachiever in pretty much everything. I was in gifted and talented. I played guitar. You and I were talking prior to recording uh, about art um, so anything that I that I touched, I would do it with trying to not necessarily consciously trying to be the best, but I would just put my all into it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was that was that's the beginning. Long winded. Uh, <laughs> no, that's that's exactly what I was looking for. So it is amazing how many coaches in this world are doing things like this every day. You know, there's just the people who take it upon themselves, who see something in others, like, like, like you said, they, you didn't see in yourself and they step in and they, they bring these, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like they're, they're, they're just nurturers. They're nurturing the next generations. And it's so beautiful that that happens on such a regular basis. And that sports is such a a, a good tool for that. And so are the arts, you know? Yeah, definitely. Looking back, um, you know, I always say that uh, there are certain things that no matter what, it it just brings people together. And that's sports, that's music. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, though, I think those are the two kind of biggest things. Arts, yeah, anything creative um, is really kind of like the collective that brings, you know, no matter what walk of life, no matter what your economic status, you know, it's just, it just has the power to just bring everybody, you know, together. And, uh, and, it, and it strikes certain emotional chords that resonates with everybody. So mm-hmm. what I'm really enjoying is, you know, I think about your father and that idea of masculinity and that kind of untouchable uh, layer of, of humanity that exists in men, particularly where there's this machoism, this kind of men don't cry, um, this, this energy that, um, kind of has gone on for years. And now we're starting to see great leaders with vulnerability. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. So that's, that's a new growth in society or has it always been there? And we just weren't seeing it. 
I don't think it's, uh, I think it's a new growth in society. Um, it definitely was my shift, you know. Um, I used to pride myself not knowing um, that it was actually not a good thing that I had a very high pain tolerance. Mm-hmm. Um, I, was, I prided myself on that. Um, but w- what it really was is that I was being groomed by my dad, uh, who was also being, you know, was groomed by his father, um, not to show uh, emotions, mm-hmm. you know, uh, even if it was pain. And so there were a lot of times where, you know, I wrestled and I'm, sh- I'm pretty positive that I dislocated my shoulder, but I didn't show it. And I never went to the hospital and I went to the doctors. And so um, luckily I don't have that much rotator um, issues, but I do have my left shoulders was compromised just from, from pride, from not, mm-hmm. you know, not showing pain and not, going to the doctors and raise my hands and my fucking shoulder hurts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't do it wrong with it. I can't really lift my arm up. <laughs> Walk it off. Yeah. Walk it exactly. off. That was the common yeah. phrase, wasn't it? Just put some spit on it. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Rub some dirt on it. <laughs> yeah. And so that really, you know, carried with me until, you know, I had my spiritual encounter uh, five years ago. I mean, I, I, was lucky, you know, I played a lot of sports, but I never really broke anything. I just dislocated fingers and stuff like that. Um, but I didn't have my first break until I think I was 41 or two. Really? Um, I broke my hand and I walked around with a broken hand for 10 days <laughs> in denial. You know, I was like, the swelling's not going down. And my wife at the time was like, that's because it's broken. Take your ass to the hospital. <laughs> Right. I was like, but I can squeeze it. <laughs> it was broken. I couldn't squeeze it. And I remember being um, on the street and it was this fair and this guy was, uh, was, was doing free massages and stuff like that. And he seemed to be pretty knowledgeable and stuff like that. And I just, you know, walked up to him and said, Hey, you know, he seemed to know a lot about the body. <laughs> so I've had this hand and the swelling won't go down. And, uh, I don't think it's broken, but my wife thinks it's broken. <laughs> and so he, he grabs my hand and, and he t- tells me to squeeze. And he said, yeah, you, you, you feel that clicking? And he was like, yeah, I feel that clicking. He said, yeah, that's not supposed to be there. <laughs> <laughs> it's broken. Yeah. <laughs> so you, know, yeah. you got to get over that. Cause as we get older, the subtle things mm-hmm. can really mess you up. Oh yeah. yeah. So I, I, I grew up with, yeah. High tolerance for pain myself, you know, just rub dirt in it, walk it off the whole thing. You know, we learn over time that like, eh, if you, if some of these things, if you push back, they push back. Yeah. And uh, you just got to really listen to your body and, and respect it. Oh yeah. I mean, that's, you know, that's, I, I'm a completely different person. You know, that was, that was pre, you know, you, 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 you said the, the magic word, the magic word is, is vulnerability. Um mm-hmm vulnerability, um, you know, getting to courage. Um, and that's where the, the switchover is. That's where the frequency switchover is actually from when we, could be, when we switch from being um, constructive to destructive, you know? So anything right. lower than courage on the frequency level, because everything is energy, um, is destructive. Um, and then once you are vulnerable and you're able to walk and get to, to, to the courage um, frequency, then that's when the shift happens and you actually start to be constructive in your thought patterns and your behavioral patterns. And you actually start moving closer to source energy 
um, and closer to love. And that's where really where all the magic is when we move back into love. Right. So, so that courage, let's go into that a little deeper. So what, what is courage? So courage um, is really the, I think it is the gateway from transitioning from as we, so, you know, people will say that we have an infinite intelligence, right? And that infinite intelligence is pure love. And so if you watch a child who has grown um, and watch that process as they learn to walk, there is no concept of failure. There's no, you know, very little pity, very little uh, memory of the past of, of, of failure or anything like that. So the child is, is in the present moment, um, curious and discovering, right? And so- Correct. Um, but as the child gets older, as it assimilates into society's ways of shoulds and shouldn'ts, then we, the, that child develops fear and then starts to learn fear. And that fear starts to override uh, the pure love because fear and love cannot coexist simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And so what courage is to me, I believe the courage is that gateway back to walk through their fear, walk through your pain, address all of your emotional traumas um, so that you can pass through back from fear into love. Um, So it takes courage because what we end up doing is that um, the fear actually becomes embedded into our body. It becomes a somatic uh, experience. So now it's no, no, what is, it resides both now in our heads, but also in our body. Um, And our body actually starts to be our brain. So our body becomes our unconscious mind. Mm -hmm. So that's where the subconscious behaviors and all the patterns start to reside and all of the programming starts to reside. And so we become very detached um, and we become, we actually get born into our ego. And so we are non-trusting, we are defensive, we are all about ourselves. We're one dimensional living in a 3D reality. and it is not until we, what I say, you know, our platform is called Help to Love and love is actually an acronym. It's like until we learn to observe, to be, to be vulnerable again, that's when we become empowered. And so, um, and you can't get to vulnerability without, you know, I mean, you can't get to courage without walking through vulnerability. So the vulnerability is really the kind of like the, the key, but the courage is the gateway. Yeah. So much of that uh, looks like self-doubt, right? When when you're not taking courage, when you're not making decisions. Mm-hmm. And what builds that self-doubt in so many people? You know, I mean, we we go through this learning to walk. Let's just go go to that analogy. So we go through this learning to walk, which mm-hmm. is fraught with failure for a while. Yes. And and pain. Until we get it. Yep. But we want to do it so bad that we continue to do it. And we don't know that. And there's nobody saying you can't do it. Yeah. Matter of fact, everybody's saying, let's do it. You know, they're like cheering you on. But when we get into the bigger world and we go to try a new thing, say it's, it's like walking a brand new thing and we start falling the world doesn't come in on us like they used to when we were a baby, right? They're, they're going to be like, ah, you're out of your league or, you know, what are all the things that we tell each other to, uh, 
you know, get back in your game, you know, you know, you're in the wrong spot, that kind of thing. So what are the, what are the tools that we use to get over that self-doubt, you know, that fear and, and get into our courage? Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's awareness. We have to, what we realize, what we don't realize is that 95% of all of our decisions are, are, are made at the subconscious level. And so we're actually just become where we actually are a victim. And when I say victim of our environment and our experience is that we allow other things to control our emotions. Right. And so they prime us. So our parents can, can control our emotions. Um, our friends can control our emotions. So what ends up happening is that, you know, as we transition and assimilate, like I said, we learn fear because the societal structure is is really based off of fear and self-loathing and so those are the things that are passed down to us from generation to generation and we we hear these talks of um you know from our parents that are well-intended but not well you know knowledgeable in, in terms of cultivating children right mm -hmm. and so um we hear what are you thinking? That's, you know, that's impossible. We hear their limitations, right? And their, their outer communication to us becomes our inner dialogue. Um, and so we start to pick up self-doubt. Um, it's learned, right? We start to see from a standpoint, there's, there, there's all these different sequences, right? So there's, um, I could talk about, probably two or three significant ones, right? There's, I think it's at the age of four, there's a crossover that happens when the child realizes that the parent um, is the good parent and the, and the bad parent are actually the same because prior to the age of four, um, the child is, is like, wow, when mommy acts this way or when I act this way, mommy's, you know, I mommy's uh, behavior, mommy's facial expressions, mommy's tone of voice, all of these change. Um, and so what ends up happening at a very early age is that the child has a choice to either be authentic um, and express their authenticity mm -hmm. or remain attached. And attachment is non-negotiable and it's innate. And so 90% of all of, um, you know, humans at some point in time abandon their authenticity. And so that what that does is it teaches us to be people pleasers because mm -hmm. we need to be attached. And then that elevates when we go into adolescence because all of a sudden we have this imaginary, because of, of things that come online in our brain, we have this imaginary audience that stays with us forever. And so now we think that what I call is just the three-legged fear table we now think that everyone is watching our every move. And so our biggest fear is the fear of not being accepted, the fear of rejection. And the three legs of that table or everything that on a subconscious level is now being um, done with the question of how will, how will they, what would they think about me? What will they say and how will they judge me? Mm -hmm. um, and so then what that ends up doing is um, there are seven essential needs that we that in order to self-actualize. And our first need is a physiological need, right? Our second need is a, uh, is a psychological need, psychological safety. 
Um, and our third need is, is the need to lo love and belonging. And so those first three needs uh, get compromised, um, which I believe uh, contributes to our self-doubt and our, our not good enough, not worthy, not lovable story narrative. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it's, uh, it is not until we are introduced to what they call like the wall of truth where we're diagnosed with some sort of illness or um, there's some sort of tragedy that we are faced with um, or there's someone significantly close to us that, that, that dies that presents the opportunity for us to open up our hearts because what, during that process, what ends up happening is we disconnect from our hearts and we move more into our primitive nervous system and our primitive nervous system now creates what is, you know, called the conditioned mind. And that conditioned mind is that voice in our head that is really coming from our body because our body says, oh, we want to be comfortable. We want to be safe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We don't want to take chances because what we, what we learn on the subconscious level, uh, I think the, the, the biggest detriment that society teaches us is, um, that everything is certain and um, definiteness. And that's not how the real world operates. The real world operates under um, in the quantum field, which means that anything is possible. Uh, mm -hmm. And with anything being possible, there's a lot, there's always uncertainty. And so um, for some reason, those that were in power had to make uncertainty certain. And so we buy into these certain things and that's where I believe that judgment came into play. And so we started judging ourselves and judging other people. Uh, and that's pretty much tethers us to fear and limitation, scarcity, you know? And so that creates doubt, that creates indecisions and it creates scarcity. So at the age of four, mm -hmm. we, we subvert our authenticity to the system. Yeah. And at, and at that level, it's family. Mm -hmm. And then in junior high, that energy of, you know, wanting to belong. Yes. Becomes pervasive and overwhelming. I remember that feeling. It, it was, it's almost frightening, you know, to have your mother say anything to you in public, you know? Oh yeah. Because, you know, you, you just be, freaked out and and thinking everybody's walking or uh, looking at you mm -hmm. um i remember yeah. walking down the street and thinking well people are watching the way i walk and then i realized i don't care how other people walk mm -hmm. so i decided i'd just start walking however i want so i just do silly walks most of the time <laughs> <laughs> well, not really but i will i mean i'll do a silly walk or you know i, I, I tend to walk just to try to put my body in alignment. So I'm always kind of focusing on where mm -hmm. my alignment is and, and, and such so that my toes don't go numb. <laughs> I got, I got some toes that go numb if I walk wrong. So I have to focus. Really? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I have to kind of watch. I, I think I got a hip out what's going on. Uh, yeah. What pinched nerve or something like that. That's, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I got a little something going on there, Just, uh, but you know, being, being a guy, I'm like, you know, I'll deal with it. I'll work it out. But, you know, I, I try to work it out, but I haven't gone to an expert, which would be the smart thing to do is to go to an expert and say, oh, let's just do this and be like, oh, well, there's two years worth of pain. I could have gotten rid of 
<laughs> two years ago. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's the same thing we do, right? Like we just keep holding on. I've been thinking a lot of lately about, you know, our ability to tolerate mm-hmm. bullshit. Yeah. And, and I've got a really high level of tolerance for, for a lot of stuff. And, and I, I don't know where that comes from, but I do know that it, it doesn't always serve me at some level. Yeah. Being tolerant of things you cannot change. Of course. Yeah. But being tolerate tolerant of things that are in yourself that, that you can change, but you don't have the courage to do so. Mm-hmm. What are some tricks that you use to, to muster your courage? Now you already have this drive. It's obvious to me that you have a drive that allows you to do it from that perspective. But when you're giving, you know, that, that push style away and going to this, when, when you're when you're in this universal love you know a singularity type of ideal it's more of a pool thing it is yep you're absolutely right push pull or you know when we're in our primitive nervous system is force um when you're in ego and you're in fear it's more force versus power when you're in love it's power is alignment it's and so for me, um, you're right, like my initial drive, my, I, I guess you would say my disposition mm-hmm. um, was uh, a driven disposition. So I was blessed to have a driven disposition, but it was just, it was based out of fear and anger, to be honest with you. Um, so I had to relearn everything because, you know, when you're not angry anymore, you have no fear and there's no anger, like, you know, you, you, um, you have to find intrinsic motivation, right? Right, um, right. So that actually comes, and that's some of the things that I teach in a course, that actually comes from actually finding your personal why. And when you find your personal why, it informs your how. And so, mm-hmm. and especially when you align with your purpose, then there is no motive. You don't need motivation. It's intrinsic. It's, it's you're inspired. Um, because there's no, we, we switch from b- this kind of binary thinking of like a destination uh-huh. um, to there's no destination. There's like quantum, like everything is continuous mm-hmm. and you found your purpose. And so the, really the purpose is the continuously serving. And so it's a journey, it's an ongoing journey with no destination, multiple stops, but no destination. And mm-hmm. so that becomes inspiring when you're actually doing something that you love, that you, that fulfills you. There's no more, there's no longer any lack. There's no longer any separation. You actually, when you move into the energy of love, which is why it's so important, which is my passion to get people back there. Cause I've had inner peace and equanimity for like the last four years. Mm-hmm. There's just this empowerment that happens. You actually, you know, what they say, like, um, I think we were on a call one time, we were talking about the dreaded uh, drama triangle, right? And so mm-hmm. when we are in our primitive nervous system, we are anxious-based, anxiety-based, and problem-focused, right? And so we actually, that fight or flight stress hormones constantly going and stuff like that down regulates a lot of our systems. Right. Um, and we become um, disjointed, uh, fragmented on so many different levels, on a human level, on a spiritual level. Um, 
And so when you move back into the energy of love, um, there's no motivation because those down-regulated systems start to come back online. Your heart is really where all the power resides. And so your brain, your mind, body, and soul start to get in sync. And then when your brain is in sync, um, everything starts to link up and then you become, you get more into your heart space and your heart space has a reset. Um, and it just knows you like, you know, you are, you start to listen to certain things and you develop, you know, everyone hears about your sixth sense, but you're no longer connected to or focused on the outer material world. You're not really forcing matter to matter. You're really starting to um, like initiate and um, kind of emit thought energy that synchronizes with your heart and they you know joe Dispenza talks about your heart actually when your heart is coherent um it's it emits like this kind of it's almost like a wi-fi so it emits like this magnetic field and that's where people talk about the law of attraction um but then you're also inspired because the law of attraction without the law of action is not doesn't mean really mean anything but mm -hmm. um the inspiration becomes part of you just because of the, the, the energy of love. And, and when you're in love, you are getting out of those destructive thought patterns, those destructive energies of shame and guilt. Um, and for me, it is, it's a practice, right? You know, we, obviously we went through the gratitude room Mm -hmm. So gratitude is, is, is a tool that I use. Um, another tool that I use is, um, you know, our, our journey through life and our experience through life is through our different brain waves, right? And so when we're in our primitive, mm -hmm. when we're in our primitive nervous system, we're really more in beta. Um, and then if we are able, the reason why, you know, I was like, was I'm a, I'm a questioner. So I was here like the, the benefits of meditation, the benefit of yoga and all this other stuff, but nobody would ever tell you what the hell it was actually doing. So right. like I'm peeling back the layers and be like, why is it beneficial? And the reason why it's beneficial is because when you start to slow down your heart rate, um, because what, you know, when you're in fight or flight, everything elevates your heart rate, your respiratory system and all this other stuff. Um, you don't actually have time to, to rest and digest. And so, um, you don't eliminate just a whole bunch of things that, you know, you, you're, you're in this fight or flight. And so you're actually having this energy that has, that's not going anywhere. Right. So you're not mm -hmm. fighting, you're not running, you're not hiding. And so you're suppressing that energy that, that an energy can't be destroyed. It can only be transmuted or transferred. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, um, the energy of love. I just lost my train of thought because I was, I was, I'm like, I'm going off on a tangent here. But um, the, what was I saying about? Well, this fight or flight, there's also fawning, right? Fawning. Yeah. That's a big one. Yeah. Well, that's the one I discovered that I do, that I've been doing, you yeah. know? Uh, so, you know, it, fight, you know, I'm a lover, not a fighter. Okay. So I'm not going to do that. Mm -hmm. um, flight. There is a bit of that, but I found that when major stressors come over me, mm -hmm. I literally shut down. It's almost like opium has taken over my body. Yeah. 
And I just shut down. I mean, literally shut down. And I, and I, it's funny. It was the stock market that taught me this because shit was going crazy. And I was just like, oh my God. And I would just get exhausted afterwards. I'm like, this is not good. You know, this is what's happening. Um, So it was, it was, I was allowing it to have my energy, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm not sure what the, um, you know, just going to love. Yes. That's and working that. What are some of the tools that, that when you, so you work with um, young, young adults looking to be in. So currently you're with fourth movement, right? Is that, is that the group you're with right now? Actually, I just left. I've left. Oh, uh, you did? Yeah. Um, I consult a little bit, but yeah, I, I was fully vested. And so I left that organization. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So, but that in that group, you were actually taking people who had challenging backgrounds and, and building them up so that they could become business owners. Yeah. Yeah. We were taking marginalized individuals and uh, training them through tr- trauma uh, informed therapy, um, which is basically teaching them that they are not a product of their environment. They're, they, are, their past doesn't dictate who, you know, who they are or who they become. And so we would basically would teach them to be able to show up and want to be the best person that they can possibly be and wipe the slate clean. Mm-hmm. And we would teach them new frameworks and opportunities. And that's what really, if you look at all of the programming, for us as individuals, it really comes down to framework and, 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 and opportunity. So they always say that, um, uh, you know, the first seven years of a child's life will determine who that person will be uh, based upon their, their, their um, birth lottery, you know? Yeah. Um, there's, there's a big indicator now the, the the thing that separates us is that we do have free will and we do have the ability to change epigenetically neuropath you know so we can change our, our our thought patterns we can change all these different things through knowledge and exposure to new frameworks and opportunities um so we're not hard set and hardwired to a certain extent on the seven year the, the first seven years of programming but a lot of a lot of people can't get out of their own way, and so they are subjective to that seven-year programming that ends up running. So a seven-year-old person is still running like that forty-five-year-old <laughs> individual's life. You know, right? It's like um, Joe Rogan says: it's just a bunch of old babies running around. Yeah, which is the reason why when someone is really, really triggered, they can have a, uh, an adult tantrum that looks very, that is very familiar to. Uh, a child tantrum you know looks mm-hmm. the same you know and i always say like if the trigger and the reaction is um out of proportion to the actual cause then it's historical right 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 and that's that's there's a lot of that that goes on where everybody's rages all of a sudden you're like whoa where'd that come from where'd that come from yeah yeah <laughs> and and usually yeah oh there's your four-year-old self yeah, that's yeah. exactly what it is. I remember watching, I'm showing my age here, the Fred Flintstone. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was very brilliant, like looking back at it, like when they would, sometimes when they would argue and they would banter back and forth, they would actually shrink into little babies. 
Do you remember that? I don't remember that. That's funny though. Yeah. Yeah. That, so that is awesome. It was like a meta meta metaphoric, you know, mm-hmm. saying, yeah, they're, they're turning into the, they're going back into their inner child's, you know, wounds and they're reliving that, you know, in the present moment. So, yeah. Yeah. You would think that, you know, as far as we've come in society, that we had already been to this idea, you know, this singularity, this quantum, and people have called it God. They've, you know, they've built whole religions around these ideas. However, it seems like they were all coming at it with this juvenile perspective, like this child perspective, where it was all, you know, like punishment and and accolades it was always you know carrot or stick and and you know there's so many broke people because of this well let's let's i mean like i said the the society was built off of self-loathing and society if you really break it down was is there are mechanisms in place to control um through imagine order um and a lot of that, like I said, is like what society blindly taught, well, didn't blindly taught us, what they uh, are trying to manipulate the propaganda is that everything is certain, including religion. And so right. my, my interpretation of religion is man's interpretation of spirituality and spirituality is unknown. Um, there's frequency, there's certain things that we can't explain, um, but man tried to do that through religion yeah so if you if you read the book sapiens which i i think it should be recommended reading for every single person you'll actually sapiens yeah you'll actually see the evolution uh even how christianity almost wasn't the the number one um religion it just so happened that the romans at the time were the, the conquerors of the world and they adopted christianity um, but they could have easily adopted something else. But the reason why they adopted Christianity, because it did not, there were a lot of the religions were, had flaws in, in their ideologies and stuff like that. And Christianity was, was, was more broadened in the way that they were practicing and preaching it. And so Romans felt that it could be applied and could be adopted and adapted to more people. They would, they would adapt to it more. Right. They took that on, but it was all by control and order. Um, Right. And so, and it was all, like I said, I think it was their interpretation of trying to make sense of spirituality because we don't know, you know, and it's okay that we don't know. And and so if you follow science, um, science methodology nowadays is to embrace a level of ignorance um, they say that, hey, what we know to be true today can be disconfirmed tomorrow or could be updated. Um, right. But, but based upon the evidence, this is what we believe to be true. Up until now. Right. Now. That's that's what science is. Yes. I mean, any science that's worth its salt is asking to be, you know, checked. Check, check. me. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah. Check me because I am science and that's what I want you to do. I want you to check me until I'm no longer valid. Exactly. Newton. Um, he didn't get to live long enough, but it's happening. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, but we didn't do that with certain things like religion, like money, like, you know, like if you look at all the society structures, um, they're built off of the, the, you know, three things, money, religion, and, and um, politics. Mm-hmm. 
And that was by design. Um, and it was by design in order to really get into empires and kingdoms, because at, for the longest time, um, the villages could not control more than X amount, like 10, I think it was 10,000 people or something like that. And in order mm -hmm. to, in order to keep order for more than 10,000 people, you had to have a centralized, um, you know, money system. You had to have centralized politics and you had to have centralized religion. And all three of them were tied to each other. So that's the reason why when you see um, currency, currency always has politics on one side and religion on the other side. Mm -hmm. And that was by design. And so... Uh, it's, uh, it's all intertwined. It's, it's like I said, it's a fascinating book, it's a fascinating read, and you'll really get a, a, a sense of like, you'll, you'll start to pull your head out of your ass <laughs> right? when you read that book. So it would have been what the Zoroastrians were pretty big at the time and the Christians took over. And so was it a uh, Byzantine empire, right? And mm -hmm. I think the most brilliant thing Constantine ever did was to kind of take little bits and pieces of all of the empire. Mm -hmm. to create you know the, the 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 book you know and uh so there was some of some of that that kind of grabbing up of these ideas and grabbing up of those ideas because you're not going to be able to go into a village that has this idea and not have a little bit of that yeah so that was really a smart move politically and and it did unify the mediterranean you know mm -hmm. uh, and then of course the opposite over time um, you know, they all start fighting with each other, but, um, so what, I, I guess what it is, is we, we walk through this world with a lot of questions Yeah. and, and it looks to me like we are always looking for somebody with the answer because well, yeah. we don't know, like, you, you know, you found a coach mm -hmm. and he was actually a very good coach. And you found obviously other people in your life who've, who brought you, um, to this other game, but we do need to acquiesce to some idea in order to understand it. The thing is, is we get held in to these ideas over centuries and then we are willing to kill for them. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So, we, need to, we need to challenge ourselves. We need to ask like, you know, what are, what are our beliefs? What are our values? A lot of people don't even know what their values are. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, you know, I, I, like I said, the first the reason why we all become seekers of the truth is because, like I said, those first three um, human essential needs are compromised. Our, our, you know, when our psychological safety uh, is, is compromised, then we don't feel physically safe, right? It's the reason why we go into stress mode. Um, and, and then we're we're seeking to belong and we're seeking love, but we're really seeking validation because we're coming from a broken place. And so because of those three compromise uh, needs, it turns all of us at some point in time into seekers of the truth. Mm -hmm. um, and as we start to seek truth, um, we have no concept of this. Um, and so we're really just trying to gravitate onto something that resonates with us. And so a lot of us go into, we, we, we approach it usually at a symptom level, right? So some, we know that there's something wrong. We know that there's something off, right? Mm -hmm. 
but we we double down because we think that we are weak or we think that we are don't have the goods or we you know can't pull it together like like Jerry and Mary over there they got their shit together I don't have my shit together so we we typically move into personal development um, mm -hmm. but we develop you can't develop self if you don't know self and so you know three forms of, of suffering is um, you know, number one is when we develop the ego, um, we, you know, through all of these belonging and um, abandoning our authenticity, we, we, we start to develop these different personas or we send certain personas into exile, right? So mm -hmm. one of the main one being our vulnerability, right? So we, we, we most of us have problems loving ourselves or, or asking for help. Um, because it makes us feel vulnerable. And sometimes, you know, whenever we felt vulnerable, when our heart was open and when we were a child, it, it didn't work out for us, whatever, you know, our perception was that it didn't work out. And sometimes it really didn't work out. We were really rejected. And so that is one that is usually like, okay, that persona is tossed away and thrown away in, into a box and never to be opened up again. Um, and so, we start to try and develop on this broken foundation um, at the core level is still some sort of narrative of not good enough, not lovable, not worthy. And so we reinvent ourselves, but the reinvention is, like I said, is at a symptom level, so it's not sustainable. And so we have this kind of oscillation between, you know, um, confidence, and then it's just, we can be reminded of a certain environment that triggers our subconscious core belief. And then that pulls us right back down into shame and guilt. Um, so it can uh, you know, eradicate any type of compounded gains that we did during that reinvent itself, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so really when I look back, um, I was, I developed another persona. I really did, you know? Um, I reinvented myself and I actually taught a class on it um, at the time before my transformation, because they were like, Eric, you know, you've been successful in music, you've been successful in financing, you've been successful in this, you have this ability to reinvent yourself, right? Yeah. But it was survival strategies, to be honest with you. Um, and, and it was really at a symptom level, because once I, you know, was married and I married my father. My, my, my wife was literally, you know, had abandonment issues like my dad and all this other stuff. And so mm -hmm. being back in that environment um, started to break me down to the point where I felt inadequate again, like I felt with my dad. Um, and it brought me down to that core level of thinking that I was not good enough or not lovable in my case. Um, and so it, it eroded all of that false personal development that I thought I was doing, but really what all I was doing was building, you know, um, building a skyscraper on a faulty foundation. And that's what I tell people, like you really have to go back and correct the foundation, which is at the subconscious level, right? And then mm -hmm. there's, only, there's only one way to, well, two ways to do it. And that is through, and that's the part where I got sidetracked on is, um, as we slow our brain, uh, slow our respiratory system down, our brain waves start to slow down because our, our heart and our brains are in sync. Our heart is really 
controlling things. We people don't really realize that our heart is really the 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 the, the where the power, our our life force, our source energy, all of that stuff. And so when we actually slow our heart rate down, we can get into alpha, and alpha is the bridgeway. The alpha brainwave is the bridgeway from the inner world, right? It allows you to start to go inward. Mm-hmm. Um, where you transition from the outer material world into the inner world. And then when you slow it down even more, you go into theta and theta is where we can actually reprogram our subconscious mind. And so there's only two ways to do that. Um, you can, it's um, in the very beginning in the morning, when you, as soon as you awaken, we're in theta, we're in natural theta um, and right before we fall asleep. And so part of my tools now um, because the, the subconscious brain is, is subjective, you know, your, your, your body, your somatic body doesn't know the difference between, um, real experience in the 3d world or what thoughts are causing the emotions that you're feeling. Right. And so when you're able to, um, get into theta, it's the hypnotic state that makes any information that is coming through very subjective. Um, and so all of the not ne- negative self-talk that, we, that we're doing throughout the day, everything that we do, everything that we consume, mm-hmm. gets embedded, whether we realize it or not, gets embedded into our subconscious. And so when you are purposeful and intentional about reprogramming that through positive words of affirmation or through auto-suggestion, um, you over compounded times, like if you start doing it for a month and six months and all this other stuff, you actually start to influence your subconscious mind. And so you can eradicate any type of, you know, once you are aware, like what is my narrative, um, then I can put positive words of affirmations to negate that, right? And so, or you can just come up with just general ones that I'm confident, I am whatever. And they also found that the brain processes different words differently because believe it or not, every single word that we have has a mapping, right? There's some sort of emotion that is, that is our, that we've already assigned to it. Right. So when we say I can't, Mm -hmm. um, it puts us in a very disempowering um, um, framework of mind mindset. But when we say I don't, that's very empowering. That's like us as doing boundaries, setting, you know, setting safe boundaries for ourselves. So another way of reprogramming and moving through fear and eradicating fear is like I saying, I don't do fear. I don't okay. do fear. I don't do fear. You know what I mean? Right. Um, as opposed to saying, I'm confident, I'm, you know, I'm love, I'm this, I'm that. You can also say I don't do whatever you're trying to avoid you know interesting you know and it's a contraction don't but it is do not i do not yeah. do this i do not do this yeah which is interesting because you, you we've heard for years that people negate that the negative gets negated mm-hmm. so why would don't be is it because it's personalized there's something about and not let me see because i because I mean, it is i do not and and that is a very strong statement and it's not and and it's not like i can't because i cannot Mm -hmm. is is illogical 
in most cases, because you probably can, in most cases, do something. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are things that you cannot do, at least at this point. But even then, if one puts their mind to things and that things have already been done by others, then there's a possibility that you may be able to, um, given, you know, no major limitations, you know, in your in your mental or physical capabilities. You know, it, it would seem to me that we can do most things that we put our minds to. Yeah. But that's pushing. So this, the reason that this, this singularity and this concept really is attractive to me is because one of the things I've noticed throughout my life, and I'm probably a little too far away from this mic, move in closer. But one of the things I've noticed throughout my life is that when I push mm -hmm. and I push and I push, eventually what happens is I get wore out. Or I lose all passion for it. Yeah. And yet I still want to get the thing done, right? Like I said, it needs to be done. Um, so this surrender, finding, finding place in surrender as opposed to pushing has been opening for me. It takes a while to get used to it, though. Yeah, I mean, so... It's, um, you know, we are taught, we are, when we're broken at the subconscious level, at the core, um, we are looking for, the seeking comes from a disempowered self, right? So right. we're looking for something or someone to make us feel complete. Right. And so we crave, and craving is... You can be very successful. That's why they say that the, the richest kings that ever, you know, ruled the, the lands and the current, you know, multi-billionaires right now, if they, if they still have a craving mindset, they will always encounter dissatisfaction mm -hmm. because it's, it's a conditioned mindset. It's not that they, there will be never, there will never be enough money for them, never be enough anything for them because of they're coming from an energy of craving, which is coming from lack and separation. And so um, it really is our approach being in our parasympathetic, being in the, in, you know, reverting back to our inner child. Like how does a child approach life? They discover, they, they're curious, they, they explore. There is no, you know, there is no rush to, for, for, for getting it done, so to speak. They don't put unreasonable time limits just cause, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so that's what we do because we want that, we want to feel complete right now. We want instant gratification and we're hustling and we're, we're, we're in pursuiting, we're chasing it um, because, and it's a Newtonian approach, it's old as cause and effect. And so we're saying that when this happens, I will feel happy or I will feel complete or I will feel okay and I or everything will be all right in life. Right. But what we're also saying with that process is that I'm not all right right now. Mm -hmm. And so the energy behind that is really destructive if you look at it, right? And so mm -hmm. 
when you come from a place of fear and you're creating from a place of fear, it's, it's never really sustainable. Um, which is the reason why you need motivation, which is, and then when you need motivation, what do you do? You kick yourself when you like, don't feel like doing it. Right. Yeah. 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 So all of those are destructive um, energies, right? When you feel shame, you feel guilt, indecision, doubt, all of those things are very low frequencies. Um, and so when you actually change your approach to life, you change your approach to um, addressing what it is, um, that you want out of life, um, you know, I, I really think it really comes down to clarity when we are able, and let me find, cause there's, um, I want to, I want to make sure that I say it right, but a lot of us, um, we're just not in tune to what makes us happy. Right. We don't ask yeah. the right questions. And when you start to align with what makes you happy, then once again, like I said, it goes back to, you know, aligning with your personal why, then your how, your, your why informs your, your how. And so then it, the energy shifts. And then I believe like once the energy shifts, then that's where, you know, you hear about manifestation, you hear about the law of attractions, your, your energy is unwavering. So when we're approaching, we're chasing, our energy is oscillating because we're we're feeling good one day and then we're feeling shame and guilt the other day and that right. is not consistent but when we are actually aligned with something that makes us happy and we actually have what is called a definite chief aim and we're going after it and we know right. that it's no timeline we're just like this is my destiny this is what i'm going to do um and I'm going to do it like, yes, the, the energy can oscillate, but, the, but we don't waver. We don't have doubt anymore. Like the doubt is thrown out. And so, you know, Napoleon Hill talks about um, anything that you want, um, any success that you want, you know, whether it's economic, um, um, love, relationships, any, any, you know, any, any form of success uh, needs three components and it needs unwavering faith it needs a plan mm -hmm. um, and it needs um you know your your kind of imagination so to speak but i'm going to find i want to find the thing around the questions one second here so are these these are the questions that that bring you to understanding of yourself so that you can get into your purpose 100 percent. yeah that is, that's a good list. Yeah. <laughs> that's, you know, that's, that's the thing where a lot of people have no idea. I mean, they, they think, well, I'm good at this. I'm good at that. They have no idea how to put that energy into play. It seems to me, you know, or, or they'll get going on, on one, but they're not, maybe you got to have the whole list for it to be effective. I'm not sure. Well, we're just not, we're just not, we're not conscious most of us are just living and we're, we're you know, 90% of our thoughts are the same thoughts the day before and the, and the week before and the month before. And so a lot of people are just trudging along, mm -hmm. you know, unconsciously until something, you know, changes. Right. And, and usually that change is not a good change. It's usually like, what the fuck is happening right now? Why is this right. happening to me? Right. Right. Um, but everything is always intentional. So that is really to break your, your unconscious thought patterns 
whenever that adversity comes into play, it's, it's, it's intentional. I will say that life happens for us, not to us. Mm-hmm. So I remember going into gratitude and, uh, and I was in a pretty ungrateful state, not very happy. And uh, I remember that energy in particular healing me and the people in that room healing mm-hmm. me. And, you know, healing me, um, I allowed them in, right? Because that's what you'd have to do in order for somebody to heal you, is you have to allow them in. Um, But I found gratitude to be one of those things. And as a matter of fact, because it healed me so well, I decided to, well, it became a purpose. Mm -hmm. I don't even know if I decided as much as it became a purpose in my life to help work this up, to help spread this out, make it something that's, that's open to everybody, which is nice is, you know, doing that on the clubhouse app. Um, and I used to worry about the numbers and such, but I'm just glad if, cause if, if there's one person that comes into that room that is suffering with some self-doubt and fear and, and all the rest of that, and they hear others, and then they finally share their gratitude. I've seen it work. I've seen gratitude itself mm-hmm. work over and over and over again. And I watch people go through breakthroughs yep. where, you know, it's just like all of a sudden they fall in love with themselves. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and that is so powerful. And so I'm so glad to be a part of that. And I'm glad you're part of that. You know, there, there can be some disappointment in it. Well, the rooms are small sometimes, but you know, I don't know that that's what it's really about. It's about yeah. having a space so that anybody at any time can go in and and get on that frequency because that is a powerful frequency. Powerful frequency. And it's, you know, like everyone in that room is learning vulnerability, mm-hmm. learning to be their authentic self mm-hmm. um, and learning to live in the energy and in the frequency of love, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's a good community. And, yeah, uh, space. Yeah. And you know, the, the thing about spaces like that is, is that, and a lot of people don't understand this, but they're there for healing, which means the sick people are going to come. Yeah. And they're going to go through their illness right in front of you. If you're open enough to let it happen. Mm-hmm. And the one beautiful thing about gratitude is it allows for the vulnerability to happen and for the sickness to be displayed on the stage. Yep. And then for us to just grab you up and give you a big hug and, and, and bring you back into yourself. Cause that's what we are. We're beautiful things and we need to be brought back into ourselves and, and reminded of that. Yeah. You know, so, you know, that was one purpose. And then once I got to this point where I could get grateful about the world around me and less, you know, pissed off at everything. And then I started to become grateful for myself. And then I started to be able to see Mm-hmm. myself and, and what I've always been able to present, even through the madness, there's, you know, we, we build despite ourselves almost. Um, there's been um, a lot of, a lot of talents and skills that I have that I really wasn't even looking at. So I said, well, let me go back down some of these roads where, where I found joy, mm-hmm. you know? So I'm now I'm, now I'm going into the acting because I've always found joy in doing that. And, uh, what I really find amazing is that it, in order to be a good actor, you have to go into all of this stuff that, you, that you're talking about. 
you know, to be really great, you have to connect yeah. to full energy, to, to the full energy of the space mm-hmm. of, of that character. And in the end, you have to come back to yourself again. So that's the real strength is to be able to pop out, become somebody else's four-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> most, most drama is about bad decisions. Yeah. And, um, and then embody that and then to be able to come back to yourself. So I, w- I originally, I would be afraid of, of doing that because I used to be quite the chameleon, mm-hmm. you know, moving um, all my life. I moved quite a bit growing up and, and not as a military kid. Um, just, I guess my mom, I would say she had gypsy blood um, and, and, and a few husbands and that type of thing. So mm-hmm. we just moved a lot. And because we moved a lot, I started to discover that I could become whoever I wanted to be whenever I went to a different school, at least yeah. at some level. So I'd start picking personas. And then I remember, uh, it is probably, I was in the Marines and I realized, you know, and after their programming, I was just like, I really don't know who I am. Yeah. I don't know what this is anymore. I've been practicing everybody else's parts for so long. Yeah. Do you, do you, how old were you around there? I was uh, probably 21, 22, okay. you know? Um, but even then there's, it's just layers that come off, you know, it's like onions. I mean, just in the last oh, year and a half, two years, um, really feeling like there's a serious purpose for this entity called Gary Fox. Yeah. And that there's, there's an order out there waiting. There's, there's something out there waiting for it, Mm -hmm. for this energy to, to emerge as its highest and greatest self. And, you know, that's where the courage comes in. Yeah. Because, you know, little old me, what? But there is, there's this inkling of something inside. It's a manifest destiny kind of feeling, whatever it is. And I don't know what it is. It's right? your, it's your IntelliKey. Like we all, I believe that we're all here for a specific reason. We all have a specific gift. Um, and it's really tapping into that, you know? And, and the only way to tap into that is to start to observe and, and, and through observation, we can become aware and we can start to integrate back into ourselves and really start to listen to our intuition and our IntelliKey that will guide us. That's always guiding us. It's always pulling us in a certain direction, which is the reason why we quit things, right? Because we're like, it doesn't feel right. And we don't, can't really justify why we're quitting it, but we're just like, it's just not, it's not, not right, you know? And so it's course correcting and IntelliKey and our guys are always course correcting for us. Um, but we're usually resistant, right? And we're usually still tethered and, and plugged into the matrix. And so at some point in time, it's like, I need to make money. I need to do this. I need to do that. And so we just, we drown out the, the intuition um, guides and the, and the advice that is trying to come through and is drowned out by our immediate needs um, mm-hmm. and our immediate cravings and our, and that lack and separation that is still so dominant. Yeah. It's you that know? constant hunger. It, it, it just seems yeah. like it's always there. It's an addiction. Yeah. And so, we, you know, that's the reason why when people actually slow down 
you actually take time and slow your mind like you know um the great emperor uh, marcus aurelius used to say that you know this the time for reflection is the time for you to connect to your soul and what a great place to be and so you know he often practiced stillness you know in the mornings where he would reflect on certain things and then he would definitely do it at night um where he would like reflect on the day what did he miss what you know is he in is his actions in line with the person that he intends to be um and some say that he was the father of meditation um because he that was a very stoic practice that he would do um was to make sure that two times of the day that he would still you know quiet his mind um and i'm sure maybe it was a lot easier to do because there was a lot less distractions but i mean you know he, he was the emperor of of uh you know he's a big emperor with a lot of lot of demands so i'm sure he was always um being requested you know his time was being requested and so he but he would be purposeful and intentional about taking two times out a day to steal his mind quiet it and so and that's when we you know connect yeah that you know dr joseph spenza says you you just have to be as just pretend that you're your dog and you're telling yourself to sit. Yeah. Yeah. That's, so that's all you got to do. Just sit. Yeah. Just sit and go back to your breath, sit and go back to your breath. And that's, that's where I've really grown a lot this last year is just learning that the value of that silence, what's amazing is if you do it on a regular basis and, and I don't, but when I do, and I've had bouts where I have, um, and I did this morning, when you do, there is a clarity of thought that will pervade your whole day. Yes. And there are moments where you're, you're no longer, let's just go back to moments. So moments become a very, very valuable, it's, it's the most valuable commodity. And, and what we do with those moments mm -hmm. and finding that, you know, what would normally trigger you won't trigger you if you are into your breathing and your heart space, because the perspective is completely different. It's not coming from your brain. It's, it's, it's coming from your heart. It's coming from an interpersonal connection with somebody else. And, and, you know, maybe they're coming at you with anger or fear or whatever. You can see that as their program, as their show, you know, yeah. at, mm -hmm. at some level, and then you, you, you can logically come back to yourself and say, what's my role in this? Do I have a responsibility here? Right? Yeah. And, and the answer can be no. No, you don't. This is just this person having a day. Yeah. Or yes, you said this thing and you need to make recompense. Whatever needs to be done. And then the boldness, well, I'm not going to do that. My pride get in the way. No, it's not there because you're still in that calm breathing state and you go wow you know i just realized that i i stepped in it over here and i'm really sorry because it's you know i have no intention of hurting you yeah takes it takes a lot of strength to do that and yet it's it's almost seamless when you are actually in a good meditative state and and you've set your day up that way yeah it's called priming um I do that all the time. 
um, I'm very intentional about priming myself to make sure that I, I um, am in the best or, or I remain in my window of tolerance um, and, uh, and remain in my heart space, you know? Yeah. So when we're in our head, you know, that's when we're in our ego and all this other stuff. And that's where, you know, I, I call it the right side of worthiness, right? When you're in a heart space, you're in the right side of worthiness um, and worthiness is empowered. And when you feel worthy and you feel like you are enough um, and you practice that through auto-suggestion, then you become bulletproof to rejection. And so there's no, nothing, no person, no whatever that can offend you because you're, you're not, you don't personalize it. I think the, the biggest thing that we do is when we're an ego, it's we make everything about us, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And, and so we can't even discern real threats from, <laughs> like you said, like that person's just having a moment. <laughs> right. Right. That's really about me, you know? And, and, and so, um, but that's the breathing allows you to relax. And a lot of people aren't able to relax. And so, you have your Will Smith moments, right? Where you what's right. called cashing a you know uh, cashing a stamp. Um, when you suppress emotions for so long that you know it's uh, so what triggers you, and you're actually taking out all of those you know moments that you swallowed your tongue and whatever um, they just explode. It's like a you know, keg, you know, powder keg. Right. Just, uh, and you really have no control over it. It's just, um, it's just this, you know, energy, the, the explosion of energy. And so that's the danger of being in fight or flight for too long is that we, we do suppress our energy. And then at, the, at the, a certain point in time, we, we're unable to control our emotions. And then when our emotions take over, it trumps our, all of our logic, which is the reason why when you look at road rage, you know, that leads in, in um, you know, tragic death and stuff like that. When you're, when they're in the courtroom and the emotions is, have subsided and they're in their logical brain, they, they feel remorse. Right. Know? Right. It's not the same brain that created the, the situation. It isn't. Yeah. 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 Dr. Joseph Spenza says, you know, this whole fake it till you make it idea. Mm -hmm. And the, the reason for that is because the brain is going to receive the chemicals, whether yeah. it's real or not. Yeah. So we start telling ourselves the things that we are ahead of time. Yeah. And then it just shows up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's so many different hacks. Like the, the brain is a process so the brain can only, you know, uh, run one program at a time. Um, and it can only process you know, certain information at a, at, a, at a time. So you can actually, if you're having like what I tell people, if you're having a bad day, walk up into the mirror and just smile at yourself. <laughs> It'll trick your brain because the brain is like, oh, you know, or yeah. do your Superman. Like this is a, this is a pose. Amy Cuddy. That's always, that's synonymous with victory or wins or celebration. Mm -hmm. So actually do this and smile in the mirror and your brain will actually think that, oh, we're happy now. Yeah. And it will actually switch. 
Yeah. Right. Hands on the hips too. the Superman pose, the Superman pose. Yeah. All of those things. And I, I, you know, I went through all of that stuff that, and it, and it, and it's effective. It works. It does work. You know? Yeah. And you know, you, you do a, if you do a conference and you, you pull people together in a room and you do all these exercises, mm-hmm. you just see the energy just go boom, you know? Exactly. Yeah. 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 So I imagine people are really interested in, um, this, I, I just want to get a little bit of this, this corporate world idea there, because this is the new you, kind of the mm-hmm. Russell Simmons, I think, you know, model, but Russell Simmons was very similar to you in a sense that he, he was doing music, mm-hmm. you know, um, looks like you, uh, you actually worked both coasts, didn't you? I'm looking at these, these first. Uh... Yeah, I, uh, yeah, so I, I first started off with two live crew because I was supposed to be an entertainment lawyer. Um, and then my father passed away and I decided to live my life for myself. Um, I'd already gone down the pathway, um, for double majoring in in music and and in business law. And so, um, I met the number one attorney, um, entertainment attorney at the time, uh, um, Alan Jacoby. And he introduced me to, to Life Crew. He introduced me to David, uh, uh, David Shackler, who ended up being like a second father figure to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, took me under my, his wing, taught me the, the business from distribution, everything. Um, and then long story short, I know that I ended up needed to be in either California or New York. And I grew up in Maryland, was sick and tired of snow, went to college in Miami, was fell in love with palm trees and sunshine. So I was like, California's the place I need to be. And so I waited for the right opportunity and then got recruited by Priority Records that had NWA um, at the time. And then when I went over there, NWA broke up and I was like, oh, okay, I moved over here and <laughs> the group was breaking up. But as oh, you know, no. yeah, Ice Cube, you know, went solo, NWA uh, rebranded and then, then Dr. Dre left. And it was those two records that um, got me my opportunity to meet Richard Branson and Ken Berry and... I got my deal over at Virgin um, called New Tribe. They funded my deal. And then I became, you know, after our first four releases was Platinum, Platinum, Gold, Gold. They made me the first president of uh, what we created, which Virgin Records Urban. And then I even climbed up even higher and became part of the international core team. Um, and, you know, I was very successful and very happy, but at the same time, I was becoming a person that I did not want to be because in order to continue to climb up the ladder, um, there was just a lot of things that you had to do that just was not in my, was not aligned with my values. And I was very, integrity was always a big thing of mine. And I, at that point in time, I, you know, had a couple million dollars and I was, uh, not afraid to jump ship and just figure out, you know, and I always looked at the music industry as, as a um, football contract, believe it or not, because I had broken the ceiling, but I, you know, it's funny though. I I think I did limit myself though, because I I broke ceilings um, and I became the president and I was being groomed to be the president of Virgin. Um, But I can talk about this now. Um, the chairman's wife at the time started sleeping with some other, some of the, the artists and stuff like that. And it kind of just imploded. And so they made a move on the chairman who was my biggest fan. Right. Um, when they made a move on him, I 
didn't believe in the the, the direction of the company that the, where the company was going, and I decided to to jump ship. Um, and so I always looked at it as you know I had friends back on East would always joke with me. It's like, when are you going to get a real job? <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, and I always challenged myself too. And so I was up for the, for the challenge because there were a lot of people, because I, you know, would threaten to leave and stuff like that. And they were like, oh, you know what, you, you know, you did a lot, but you had, you had a, I had a hand, right? I had, I was funded by Virgin. Um, they handled a lot of my back office services and stuff like that. And so it was like, the challenge was like, can I do this on my own with no help with my own money? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and I did. And so I left, um, I started a clothing company with, um, Dominique Wilkins, hall of fame basketball player. Mm -hmm. Didn't really like that model. And then I, yeah, but we were successful, but I left that and got into, um, lending financial lending. And I did that with my own money and grew that to, you know, uh, 20, you know, $20 million in, in annual revenue. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, it was, I was always challenging myself. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, for me, like the first literally 43 years of life was, I didn't really have too many adversities because I was dialed in. And like I said, it wasn't until, you know, I started having issues with my, my wife who represented my father um, that a lot of those uh, experiences that were lying dormant because they say that emotional trauma can lie dormant for for decades right but you get into the right environment then uh, involuntarily shows up again and that's what happened to me um, there was just certain things that were very much reminding reminders of my childhood that uh, obviously I didn't address and hadn't that were unresolved and they always say that you know, make sure that you address your emotional uh, trauma. Otherwise, you're going to do it through through your relationships. Right, right. Um, and that's what happened to me. I, you know, I did that. But um, it was a beautiful thing that happened when when I got separated. That you know, drove me into that. that that's when I was fawning. So I was literally like <laughs> people pleasing and not whatever. I lost contact with myself. I didn't know who I was. I looked in the mirror one day and was like. Didn't even like, like, who is this person? How did I become this person? Mm -hmm. um, and that's, you know, I don't want to say that's the danger, but that's, that's how we can be so un unconscious that, you know, we look up one, one, one day and six years later, we're in the same exact spot that we were, six, you know, previously is because we are not intentional about our time. We're not, we're not asking the right questions, which I do have, right, by the way, I'll, I will. Oh, you have those? Yeah, we're not, you know, we're not going inward. We're not slowing down. We're not getting into alpha. We're not getting into theta, but we're, you know, we can actually start to be constructive. We're not, um, we're not being proactive. We're just, re we're, we're reacting to life. We're acting, you know, we're being in our primitive um, nervous system that only wants sameness, comfort. Right doesn't want to move out of, um, you know, it's that 90% every day. Yeah. Same stuff. Yeah. Same shit. Same stuff. Yeah. So, so yeah. you know, I, I do want to do want to bring this up. Uh, so there's so many people who will be listening to this. Well, hopefully there'll be so many people listening to this, but there's, there's so many people out there who think that, Oh, when I get the money, it's all going to be good. 
And I've been around, I don't have a whole lot of rich friends, but I've been around a few. Some of them are fine because money is just, it's there now and they, they, they're, they don't have to worry about it. Mm-hmm. And, and those people seem to be healthier with it. And then there are those who are still seeking it. And it seems like it's their only sense of self is really their net value. And, and they're so sad. I've been, some, some people that I've been around that are like, you know, if they just turned it around and started loving themselves as much as they love their money, they'd be fine. Yeah. But so you walked away from it and then just rebuilt because you have zero fear about money. It seems. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, I've had some some hidden core beliefs that I had to to um, break out of. So what happened to me is like Ed my uh, Ed Milet talks about this. I apparently had a a governor like a, in a car, right? A regulator, like where you know um, you can have a supercar. I've had a couple of supercars, and they'll put like a governor on there where you can't go. Right, a certain um, speed limit, right? Mm-hmm. So they'll max it out to like 200 or 188 or something like that. Um, um, he calls it a thermometer. And so for me, I had this belief that too much money made you greedy and made you evil. Mm-hmm. And so there were a lot of times where I would make X amount of money and I would just be like, you know, in, in, in some cases, like my values were, were being compromised. And so I was having that battle between integrity and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would just walk away and start something new because I didn't want to be considered evil and, and greedy. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, like I said, I, I think I limited myself in, in, in a couple of different areas because um, I think I probably could have been one of the few there's only been about five or six black presidents of major record labels um but i definitely had the chops to do that and and had the support to do it um to be honest with you i probably probably deep down inside just didn't want to do it it's one of the reasons why i probably walked away from it from the industry you know Mm -hmm. Because it is, it's just the, you know, looking back at it now, like we need music and I love music and I'm not trying to be judgmental or anything like that. It's just the the energy and the type of people that it does attract. Um, it's just a little bit um, superficial, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's very superficial. And so there's no real true, true connections in there. I mean, I mean I've made a lot of good friends through music, but yeah. You know, uh, the the breeding ground for greed and backstabbing and all this other stuff is just it's it runs prevalent you know what I mean mm-hmm. no yeah no more it'd be here. a tough industry you know you're dealing with especially in hip hop you're dealing with hunger these yeah. people are coming up hungry mm-hmm. and uh, and and you know even even the whole genre is about get mine yeah you know and uh, so you're yeah. You're negotiating that field. You're in that field. So that's, you're going to feel that for sure. Wow. For sure. Yeah. So what are, what are these, uh, what's the list? So the list, the four important questions that we need to ask ourselves to really kind of, um, you know, um, shape the direction of our lives is number one is who do you want to be? Right. And so they always talk about like, um, you hear about this higher version of self. Well, what does that higher version of self look like? 
you know, what are their values? What are the, you know, mm -hmm. so who do you want to be in life? Um, number two is what do you want to do and why, right? That's, that's finding your personal why. Um, number three is what do you want to have, right? Um, sometimes we think we want to have lots of money. We want to have this and all this other stuff. I, I really start to educate people on um, the five capitals, right? We're always optimized for wealth, but that is not the most important capital as, you, as we've all seen. Like they say that money Money only answers and addresses money problems. You're still left with the other problems. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Um, and then the last one, which is the most important, is fulfillment really comes from when you start to look outside yourself, right? When you mm -hmm. actually move from, from the ego, which is all about me, 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 I, I, I. Um, right. When you start to want to connect to community, want to connect to, you know, friends, families and stuff like that. And so the last one is, what do you want to share with the world? Like meaning, what is your, what is the legacy that you want to have, leave behind? And that is usually tied to your gift. And those are the four questions. That we typically never stop to, to answer ourselves, you know. Right. Yeah. Well, I will be I will be playing around with these questions for a bit. Mm -hmm. I, that's what I tend to do. I tend to go in, kind of play around with stuff for a while, put it on. I've done yeah. that with a with with a lot of spiritual practices. You know, mm -hmm. remember uh, Deepak Chopra came out with Seven Laws of Spiritual Success. Yeah. So there were seven chapters, and I remember just committing to you know, going into it, doing the exercises, you know, learning the stuff. It's interesting that it's all out there, you mm -hmm. know, all out there. And, and we can read it and we're always reading. It's just like, you know, when you step, you can never step in the same river twice. You can read the same book, mm -hmm. you know, one year apart. And it's a different book because of who you are. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and, and what you need from it. And, uh, it's funny because at, at some point I was like, well, I've already read all these things. I don't need to read them anymore. I know this stuff. Mm -hmm. But then you go back and you read it and you're like, oh yeah, I knew this, but I forgot this. Yeah. Yeah. And then as you, you know, you, you have applied new context and new meanings to it as well as you, as you uh, absorb more knowledge. Right. Yeah. I'm thinking of uh, the black artist you, you'd mentioned. So there's Gordon. And then there's, uh, what's his name? Uh, oh, uh, Quincy Jones. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I'm trying to think of uh, the other producers. Uh, there are not many, which is interesting because there are so many black artists. Yeah. So what's that about? Yeah, you, you could have been the guy, but you didn't want it. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, ultimately, yeah, I mean, otherwise I would have done it. Um, there was, I, you know, I remember like going back now, reflecting back, there was some time where, um, you know, I was, I think it was my general manager had embezzled some money. Um, so they were, the company was making me make a move on him. Um, I made a mistake of a hire 
And when I brought that person in, I was like, okay, he really wants my job. Like that's the last thing uh-huh. to bring somebody in that's really gunning for your job. Um, and so I had made some mistakes. Um, and then instead of like just firing those people and just being hardball, right? And just uh-huh. being badass, um, I really looked at a point in my life. And I was actually going through a transition as well because I had done the landmark form and had my first breakthrough mm-hmm. and really, you know, it's, it's like I said, everything's intentional. So the thing that, that I was trying to answer and address was I was under the impression that, you know, the more money that you make, the happier you become. Right. And, and, but I was not experiencing that. So I was not fulfilled. Um, things started to become stressful. Um, artists started to become more difficult and, you know, the label itself, it just wasn't a labor of love anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I got to, I remember being at a convention and just really, really feeling exhausted and tired and not even really wanting to be there. And that was never my, my situation. I was always feeling grateful for being in that industry, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I felt I felt a little empty, to be honest with you. And so, you know, I was looking to shake it up, (laughs) you know, and actually what I wanted to do, because it wasn't like I just left the industry. Actually, what I wanted to do was go back to um, being, running my own label. So what I didn't like was being ahead of the the vision. Because Virgin, when you're back with Virgin. Yeah, because when I when I had my own label, I had total autonomy. And I guess I was, I'm an only child. I was a little spoiled, a little brat. And that was conducive to what I was used to. And so when I was the head of the division, I was president, um, I had more people to answer to and I didn't have as much freedom and autonomy. Um, and so that was, I was, you know, I was probably a little bit spoiled to be honest with you. So I was like, I want to go back do my own label, have my own budget and just, you know, do it that way. But it was the times were changing and the only jobs that they were actually doing, they weren't giving out labels anymore. They weren't giving out much money. They would, but they were allowing you to be the head of a division. And then you could parlay that into starting your own label. But I wasn't patient enough. I felt that I had already um, earned my stripes and that I should had the label and that was you know can't go up against the industry and I was a little bit arrogant on my part and I was like I didn't necessarily need the money so I just jumped ship and started my own thing started doing some other things so is that where priority came from no priority was before that that's where um give and go came into play and then and then um um cc solutions is the financing company that I had was very successful financing so that's that's a you know, the thing is, if you go to law, see, your dad was right. You get into law, you can really roll around just about anywhere, it seems like. Everybody wants somebody who's got that type of training. And I think it's more about the way that a lawyer thinks about things. More even keel than most folks. You know, yeah. having not so, you know, there's left, there's right, there's up, there's down, there's let's explore it all. It's just something about the way that lawyers think that, I think makes them valuable to society, um, at least at the business side. Yeah, I mean, I was always left and right brain, so I was kind of a, a unique character. 
Um, but um, yeah, I mean, it's, you know. It so you, a, uh, you do art? You, do you do painting and things like that? I used to. I haven't, I've not done that anymore. I've, um, but, you know, when I did, I, I, I had some pretty good, um, good uh, drawings. And then I, what I used to do, what I had a very good skill, and I still have, my mom still has these. What I would do is I would make models out of cardboard. So, how, you know, I like used to make model pieces, right? Uh-huh. I would actually draw out all of these pieces in cardboard, like like a model, you yeah. know, and put them together. And I don't know how I did it, um, but I made like I made this really big battleship that like had these bay doors that opened up and had all of these little things on the inside and nice and had, had two ships that landed on it as well. Like it's all cardboard, it's all paper and cardboard. Just your own design? My own design, yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I was actually on a ship that, you know, they opened it up and you could flood it. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's really? Called a, yeah, it's called an LST, a landing ship transport vehicle. So that's what they put the uh, Amtrak's in. Okay. So the whole back end of the ship actually opens up yeah. and floods. Mm -hmm. You know, they fill up these ballast tanks, so it floods it to a certain level. Yeah. And then these guys take off semi-submerged so the amtrak has you know tank tracks on the bottom yeah and so it was like watching the the slowest drag race ever so they'd get these two amtraks and this guy be up on the bridge calling them and go and they'd rev up and then uh, next thing you know they'd hit the water boom, boom, boom. <laughs> yeah. uh, that was fun i got to watch that all night one night three in the morning yeah, yeah. so ships yeah i was i was enamored with ships growing up that was one of my Things I always drew pictures of ships, galleons, and such. I don't know. Yeah, cool. I don't know what that was about. Well, I guess because my grandfather came over on a galleon, but I don't. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. But I think maybe you know, in, in the old genetic code, there's something in there about yeah, ships. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, oh, let's let's. Uh, where? How long have we been going here? Uh, I think an hour and forty minutes or something like that. Okay, well, that's more than enough for most people. Mm -hmm. So, um, who do you want to be? What do you want to do, and why? What do you want to have? Mm -hmm. And this is the connection one. What do you want to share with the world? Those are good questions. Yeah. Uh, oh, I just mashed my mic. Um, mm -hmm. Do you find it difficult? Did you find it difficult to answer those questions? They, they seem elusive to me at some level. Like there's a part of me that doesn't want to think about it. No, because you know, would, would, would my spiritual encounter when that happened, mm. it sent me on a trajectory that, you know, I literally probably up until seven months ago um, was still somewhat resistant and now I'm just full in. Mm. And so, um, so is this that uh, the encounter where you were sunning on the ship? Is no, no, that was my download. Okay. That was, a, that was a download. So my encounter was when I moved out, the day that I moved out, uh, October 18th, 2016. Um, you know, they we don't know what we don't know. And it was the fact that I was very, I knew that I wanted to leave my, my, my wife. What I didn't know at the time was that um, I started mine 
effing myself around not being able to see my kids on a daily basis. And probably, you know, the fact that I was guilting myself around repeating the same patterns, you know, um, abandoning and stuff like that, especially pressures as a black man. And I, you know, and I didn't feel that I was the one who gave up, you know, I felt that my, my ex-wife, um, emotionally left and checked out a long time ago. And like, you know, I don't know if you remember the Robin, uh, Robin Williams quote, just like the, the, the worst thing that he used to think was to be alone. He's like, but, but what's worse than that is being with people that make you feel alone. Um, and that's how I felt. And so I just couldn't do it anymore. And I remember uh, feeling like I was suffocating and I needed to slow down. I needed to quiet. But my intentions to move out was really for us to like start dating again. And, but she had abandonment issues. And so she looked at it, the fact that I'm moving out is like, that was the last straw. Um, and so it was a very depressing night. And um, my father at the time, because I'd been very connected to spirit in a way my father had passed away um decades ago but had visited me three times at that point mm. and so i was actually proactively trying to call him for the first time right because it always came volu- involuntarily when you come to visit me and it was always a nice pleasant you know visit but this mm-hmm. time i actually wanted him to show up because i was lost and i was you know was I was scared, to be honest with you. You know what I mean? I'm vulnerable now. I have no problems, um, you know, speaking the truth. Um, and I really was that, that uh, my inner child, I probably was that, you know, five-year-old person that was laying on the bed, like with no answers, feeling totally guilty. And what we can do is like, we can produce our own DMT in our own brain, right? So I don't know if it's, if five hit an emotional whatever that flooded my brain what i but the one thing that we are is we're always connected to source um and so i asked two questions i asked the first question was how did i get here and the second one which ended up being my dharma which is um my which was always eluding me was how do i get out of here and never 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 be in this situation again which was the thing that was always my primary question in life, which was how do you achieve sustainable joy? And at that point in time, um, an energy came over me and I knew immediately that it was not my dad, Um, but it was similar source energy, but more intense. And it was like, it's hard, it's hard to articulate because of, you know, I've shared this a couple of times and I've met other people that have had near-death experiences and we've talked about like the energy, how, how the energy felt and all this other stuff. But it's kind of like reading a book and being exposed to something that you already know. So it's like, a, I say, it's like, you know, revisiting a book that you've already read. Um, it's the familiar that is the most unfamiliar, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because you return to pure love you return to probably what I already knew um, as a child, as that infinite, you know, as that miracle. We're all born and we're all created from the zygote cell, like every everything in creation. 
um, and they say that that universal consciousness resides in everything in life. And so when you're actually reconnected with it, it becomes, you remember. And actually that's what they say. It's like, you know, we come here to forget only to remember. And those that are lucky enough to remember and encounter it um, are just filled with all of these kind of secret codes and algorithms and stuff like that that is very hard to articulate, but you, but it resets you. And so, um, you know, the voice answered my questions and I felt what I could only describe as, and I didn't know any of this stuff now, obviously it sent me down this pathway, but what I could describe was that it was pure, pure love, no judgment, no nothing. It was just a pure energy of love and light. And, and for the, and right then and there, I knew that because I was reunited with it, but I didn't know at the time that I was reunited with it. But right then and there, I knew that there was only one way to live and that's through love. And so it sent me the next day, the magic started happening where I was moved to journal. I've never journaled in my entire life, you know? <laughs> um, there was a certain book that I was moved to go get and I got that book. And then there were certain articles that I was moved to read. And literally it just felt like someone was taking over my, my um, all of my energy and, and, and moving me in a direction that brought me to inner peace. And so almost two years to the day of that encounter on October 16, 2018 is when I had my vegan, vagus nerve or what they call the kundalini break where we hold all of our past hurt and pain and all of this other stuff all of that pain and emotions and stuff resides within our vagus nerve which is our communication highway from our brain to our body and usually when you get triggered and you're in your sympathetic um, activation mode um, we feel the somatic energy or, or anger within our body, somewhere in our bodies. And for me, it was in my gut. Mm. And it felt like, it always felt like a pilot light with just light. And then I would just go from zero to a hundred. And um, I had a break where like my whole vagus nerve just felt like it just released and I could feel it in my whole entire body. And I knew that something had, had, um, had happened to the point where I, documented that day i'm like all right and then from that day on i've never i still you know you can still obviously get triggered but it's like i describe it as the matrix um at the end of the first ma uh, matrix when neo was kissed by love right he was kissed by trinity which is representation of love mm -hmm. um, after he was shot by the agent right he dies he, he's reborn because it is a symbol of reborn because i believe that that was my reborn date Okay. Um, he was reborn through the power of the kiss, right? And then he then walks out of the door, grabs the handle, and then he turns and the agents are still there. But this time he's looking at them and behind him, he can see the code, right? So all time and space is slowed down for him. And they shoot at him and he flexes and he's not scared anymore because he's in the power of love. And as the bullets approach him, he slows down time and in, in, in space to the point where he actually, remember, he grabs the bullet, he looks at it, 
(laughs) and then drops it and then looks at them and then he just like flexes and you know he basically conquered his fear is what that represented to me and from that day on um i can get triggered but i've never i don't feel it in my body anymore oh nice like a pilot light was blown out and so it can never ignite um, and it's a beautiful feeling, man. And so then now I, I approach, I see, you know, it's almost like I'm, I'm love always and always if that makes sense. Yeah. And then you start to be more in your seat of consciousness. You are, you just see, like I always say, you know, uh, our platform is called help to love and help is, is an acronym and stands for health experience love and perspective and so when you change your perspective to love um you actually become a different person so when you look at life through the lens of fear your perspective is completely different you're you're on the defense you're in your ego you're untrusting you are um you're not in community because you can't cooperate a lot. Do you know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. But then when you're in love, you, it's a whole different language change. It's like you, everything is compassion. You, you sit in a seat of empathy. You see other people, um, like you said, like just having moments, so you don't personalize anything. Mm-hmm. You know, even if it's a personal attack, you're just like, wow, that person's really having a, a bad day. They're having a bad day. Yeah, it's their problem. Mm-hmm. It's their problem. You don't absorb it. It's, and it's no, because the ego is no, you know, you've, it's not like you've eliminated the ego, but your ego is, is you have a healthy ego, right? Because there's three, three egos. There's our parent, child, and then there's the adult. And so now you're in the adult ego, mm-hmm. which is, is the only ego that is in the present moment because your parent and, and child egos are, are in the past and in the future. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're just very present. Um, and you, uh, as Tony Robbins calls it, it allows you to be responsible, response able to all stimulus, right? You're able to right. respond as opposed to react. Um, and it's just, a, it's just a beautiful, I call it the extraordinary 10X lifestyle because you don't suffer, you know? Mm-hmm. And you're, you're aligned, you feel whole again. And so there's no lack. There's no separation, you know, you're completely integrated. Yeah. Completely integrated because it's it's an ongoing, it's a continuous thing, right? Um, Right. But you become integrated, which allows you to further want to work on that process to, to further, you know, continue to, to integrate all aspects of yourself. Yeah. I've seen this as people's only diet plan. Really? I mean, like, they decided I'm not dieting anymore. Like mm-hmm. big people, yeah. I've known a few big people who've done this, and they they're like, I'm not dieting anymore. All I'm going to do from here on out is I'm going to love myself. Yeah, and and really get into understanding what that means, what that looks like, and and does it look like a big piece of cake? No, it looks yeah. like fasting. You know, 16 hours a day, and and eating a high protein, delicious dinner. Yeah. You know, and really enjoying that and loving that. And maybe it feels like cake sometimes, but it doesn't feel like cake every day. Like it used to. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and so it's amazing what, what can be done 
like that is one of the more bigger challenges people have is is losing weight but i have seen more people have great long-term success and that's the thing long-term success they've loving themselves over the years and then through loving themselves they they discover not diets but correct ways of eating yeah and then all of a sudden they're feeling better in life and and um and it's the same i mean a diet's a diet whether it be words or whether it be food mm-hmm. you know and when we love ourselves we're going to eat better words we're gonna you know we're gonna have better words that we're going to bring into ourselves now you mentioned uh landmark and you mentioned tony robbins uh, so um imagine you've you've looked into a lot of these things to get this understanding and 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 of course so what what are some of the courseworks that that you have gone into till you've gotten to this assimilation of, of where you're at um i just dove into trauma so um uh, gosh, I'm going to draw on a blank. Um, Dr. Von Vessel, um, uh, Peter, uh, you know, David Hawkins, um, Peter Levin, um, Dr. Garber Mati is a big one. Um, who else is there? Um, you put me on the spot, I'm drinking. <laughs> Uh, Gabor Mate, I'm, I, yeah, he's, he's, is that an MIT? He is, I don't know if he's at Harvard or MIT, but yeah, he's, he's a pretty renowned specialist in, when it comes to trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, my specialty is happiness and productivity. So, you know, there's Ed Milet, um, there's other people that are around productivity like you know Jim Rohn mm-hmm. um, uh, Jack uh, Camfield um, Wayne Dreyer all these other people like you know there's I've, I've, I've drawn like what I say is like my my curriculum is really like a, it's a curation of multiple disciplines because what I found is people learn people learn from different modalities right right um and so you know one of the the issues when it comes to trauma therapy um is that it's really teaching from one discipline right and a lot of times there's no spirituality involved there's no energy and frequency or quantum knowledge or anything like that Mm -hmm. Uh, and so i pull from you know five, seven, eight different disciplines that explain it in a practical way. So no, no matter where you're coming from, like if you're a visual learner, if you're an audit- auditory learner, um, if you are spiritual, if you're not spiritual, if you're scientific, you know what I mean? Like um, right, right. there are all kinds of different parts that will resonate with multiple individuals. Um, and what, like I said, what, I, what I've seen in other programs is that it really is just coming from one discipline and it only resonates with a handful or, or sometimes information gets lost because it's like, you know, especially in a lot of the, the uh, trauma psychology, right? Because they're using all of these big words and stuff like that. Well, it's like, well, break that down for me. What does that mean? Right, right. <laughs> you know? Um, and then I do a lot of storytelling, right? Because when you 
do storytelling, um, it really removes the personalization and the shame from whatever your story is. Um, and you can relate to it from, uh, you know, uh, another story that puts it into context from you, but it removes the shame from your, your individual's personalized story. Right. So. Yeah, stories are great. Um, yeah, I, I did training for years and people come at it from different perspectives all the way through. I mean, visual, audio, kinesthetic. And then of course, then you start talking about when you're dealing with spirituality, you know, you got to keep it almost agnostic in a sense um, when you're dealing with general public. And so you introduce these new things. Now I'm thinking about productive, you know, the productivity movement over the years. And, and there hasn't been this interest in, in the quantum, you know, level, this, this singularity concept, um, you know, they called it other things, but I, I, that's new and that's new energy coming in. You know, I, I think of what, um, what's her name? Hayes. And, and, and you mentioned um, Wayne Dyer along those lines, you know, these, this, they started kind of working along those lines where you don't have to really mention religion, but you can just talk about the concepts that exist there. And I think that helps. Um, what am I trying to get to here? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I do want to get back to this. So you have started a new company now and it is yes. called, and what is the name of that? And I help, help to love. So help to love. Yeah. Help to love. And it's, uh, you know, like I said, HELP is, a, is an acronym. It, it really, uh, the H stands for health. Um, mm -hmm. And if you really look at everything, uh, you know, health is, is everything that we consume through our five senses. And when we align and integrate, we're able to actually connect to our sixth sense. Um, but everything is... Uh, data, it's information, uh, it's information to the mind, it's information to the body. So whatever we consume grows or dies in real time. And so, you know, we need to always be mindful. Are we feeding on poison or positivity? Like what foods are we putting into our bodies? What information are we putting into our minds and our, in our hearts? Um, and so the E is acknowledgement and repair is experiences um it's experience through our environment our exposure and our ability to travel to collect more data to form more conclusions to get new frameworks um and to be exposed to different opportunities and that's how we grow um, because we as humans we're adaptive and in love is it's the source it's the familiar like I said, it's the familiar that is most unfamiliar, but it's life force and it's source energy and it's universal consciousness uh, and it's everything. Now, like you said, like it's love has the power to heal because it can um, and it always starts with self-love. And then perspective is everything yet is nothing because if you, like I said, if you look through life through the, the, the lens of fear, um, you're going to be an ego, you're going to be competitive, you're separate, you're in lack, you're defensive, your selfishness, you're non-trusting, you're in fight or flight, you want to control, you want to manipulate, and you're in stress. But when you see life through the lens of love, 
we return, we align, we integrate, our nervous system actually resets, our heart and mind start to sync and become coherent, which makes us change at the core. And now we're compassionate, now we're sitting in a seat of empathy uh, and fear, shame, and all of those things start to subside. And we awaken more um, as more of our down-regulated systems start to come online. Um, and so we, we, when we string, that, that's our four pillar strategy um, that allows us to live wholeheartedly and free. And they are derived from the seven essential human needs and the 12 universal laws and the seven steps to self-mastery. And when we string them together, um, we call it this key information needed for adaptive soul realignment. And if we simplify it, we say it's a healthy experience with love will always change your perspective. And there's a pelodrome aspect to it because when you, when you reverse it, the same meaning applies. And so if you change your perspective to love, you'll experience a healthy way to live. Um, and that's our pillars. And love is also like uh, a acronym, which I mentioned earlier, which is when you learn to observe, to become vulnerable again, you become empowered because love is empowerment. Love is is our power, right? When we're in mm -hmm. fear, we're in force. Like you said, we're pushing, we're pushing against, we're swimming up against stream. When we're in love, we're in towel, we're in flow. So, and so what we do is we help people to tap back into their personal whys, which again, informs their how, um, move it out of stress in our primitive nervous system. Um, to get back into their more window of tolerance. And, you know, it's, it's, it's alignment both at the soul and spiritual level, but more importantly at the human level uh, around our nervous system so that we can become emotionally, emotionally stable um, and have resilience and eventually thrive. So nice. So how, how, do, how does one go about getting um, into the program? So we are going to be launching probably by the end of July. Um, and it will be online courses. Um, you know, right now we, we just launched like literally like a week ago. I don't even, I haven't even sent the invite out to people. We just launched our Facebook. Um, and... We are doing our YouTube will be the first, literally the first, the first uh, video goes up tomorrow and that's all free advice. So, uh, you know, um, I would say tap into help to love YouTube channel, um, help to love Facebook group. And, uh, and then we'll be slowly rolling out these other social medias, but then, but then we, you know, um, I would say sign up Sign up to Facebook, follow us, and then we will be obviously sending out information once we launch the actual platform. Okay. Which will have you know different courses. So there'll be five five courses immediately. There's a, there's the first stage for self uh, actualization and self mastery is awareness. So we have a, an awareness masterclass, and then the second one is really about because everybody wants instant gratification. So what I do is right. I, give, I give away some of the secrets, codes to acquiring self-mastery, self-love and success. Um, but I tie it back into 
into, you know, stress and trauma and all this other stuff so that um, you understand like what the real importance is. And that, that course is really, really good because we talk about the wide quality of life because a lot of people don't understand the, the quality of life. Like I remember having dinner with Paul Allen mm-hmm. who, you know, was rich. Yeah, yeah, multi-billionaire, but my blink for him was a person that was very sad and lonely. Mm. And he died not too long ago after my, well, about 10 years after I had the dinner I had with him. Um, and he died at the age of 65 um, through, I think it was um, um, Hopkins or lymphoma or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but his net worth was 20, I think $22 billion, $22 billion you know what I mean? Um, yeah. And I bet you, he would have given all of that money away to have more years and in a, in a better quality of life. And so, you know, in that course, we talk about the longest study that has ever been conducted about human development, which is the Harvard study um, and all of the findings around that study and which, which shows that it's not, it's not money or fame, it really comes down to quality relationships. Yeah. And so we teach people about the five capitals that, you know, human capital, social capital, psychological capital, temporal capital, and obviously everyone knows your financial capital, but it's a combination of all those five that, that adds to the quality of life. It's not, but people typically optimize for wealth only because wealth throughout history uh, is this universal meaning, is universal power behind money, right? Especially yeah. for mar- marginalized individuals that were you know born in the wrong birth lottery that all of a sudden become successful and they know that money has power and money has privilege mm-hmm. and so we and and but at the same time what we're really saying is that and 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 i think the flaw of society is that we've made money more important than humanity itself yeah you know mm-hmm. um you know, for us to be complicit with the homeless, complicit with, you know, having this, this designed order to, for hierarchy is the fact that we are, we value money more than we value humanity. Yeah. Uh, and that needs to change. So. Does need to change. Yeah. Wow. Well, Eric, I thought that this would be a really, really good show and i think i was correct well thank you i appreciate you yeah. uh, the invitation you know this is this has been a wonderful big fan of yours yeah <laughs> my head's all thick with all these thoughts floating around in there mm-hmm. and uh so i'll probably sleep well tonight and have dreams about you know these ideas <laughs> um you know i i've been you know, playing around with these ideas for a long time and the singularity stuff, you know, it's, it's not totally new to me. I mean, there's Buddhism's been speaking about it for a long time mm-hmm. and uh, but, but the tools and, and all of this other stuff, the ways of getting there um, it's, it's been nice to discover the new ones, even at, at, at my, you know, far gone age, mm-hmm. you uh, know, it's wisdom, <laughs> not far gone age we're, we're wise. You know? We're getting there. We're getting there. Um, and the more I love, the wiser I get. And that's yeah. for doggone sure. 
Definitely. And it's interesting. I, I do want to talk about this for a second. For years, I, I, you know, on, on my signature, it said, imagine a revolution of love. Um, and yet I couldn't get to love itself at, at that kind of core level. And I found that gratitude really was kind of that spin up for me. Yeah. That I really couldn't learn to love until I learned to appreciate literally everything. Mm -hmm. And one of the, you know, and then I started learning things about gratitude itself, which sounds, you know, it's just gratitude, just be grateful. But I started recognizing people who were really powerful at it, that they started to recognize gratitude in things that challenged them in their lives yeah. at a high level. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then that really opened me up to a whole other level of understanding that it's all a gift even that suffering it is our yeah. our adversity is the opportunity for growth yeah you know and, you know and we think about some of the most beautiful people and and the challenges that they've gone through to become who they are yeah you know there, there's there are many of them yeah, it's a, it's it's an, and I, I talk about that in in that particular workshop. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's and it, it it will change your perspective and you will move out of victimhood after you go through that workshop because it really opens your eyes and it and it it you know there's universal codes, there's genetic codes, um, you know every life form except for humans follow a genetic code. Um, but humans have a, have a universal code that we don't really tap into. And when we tap into that universal code, we actually stop um, all of our conflicts and our resistance to, to living. And then we actually fall in line and we start to be in flow. And those are the examples that we see when people are manifesting the exact life that they want to bring. It's because they're, yeah. they're in towel. They are no longer in conflict, you know? Yeah. Um, that's where I want to get. Yeah. And so we're, we're, people don't realize that we're manifesting 100% 24-7. We're either manifesting consciously, but most of us are manifesting unconsciously at the subconscious yeah. level. Because the energy, you, you, the energy that we put out, if the fear is, is, if our fear is vibrating higher than our love, which for most of us it is, um, then that's the, the things that we're trying to avoid is the things that we start to perpetuate and bring into our lives. Mm. Yeah. Yep. You go the direction you're, you're looking, yeah. looking at your fear, you're going to go there. Yeah. 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 So where your attention goes, your energy flows and where your energy flows is where, you know, that's, that's where your vibrations and that's, you know, so you know, I think I told you about the whole thing about clarity. Um, you know, clarity is really where we can focus our energy. And when we focus our energy, it brings clarity. And that's connection, that's love. That's um, our attitude around gratitude. You know, and that's our response that, you know, depending on how we respond, allows us to be in chaos or in clarity, you know. And then it's our intuition and it's our transpa being transparent with ourselves was the biggest thing, right? Mm -hmm. um, we lose the ability to, to receive constructive criticism because we always think that that's a form of rejection. And, um, 
And so by losing that ability, we lose the ability to even be truthful with ourselves. So we need to be transparent with ourselves. We need to be accountable for certain things. And once we're accountable, um, then that then we can really start to address, you know, the things that we need to to fix or remove impediments. I always like to a lot of our courses is really built around a lean agile process, which is for developing software is you, you find, you know, your end goal, right? And so our end goal for us um, is we want the bigger, the immediate goal is for people to be happy and, 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 and not be in stress mode anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the bigger goal is for them to actually focus in on their, their trauma and be what is called transitional characters where they actually stop the actual lineage, you know, mm-hmm. um, the, the, the downstream, so for me, like I decided to be a transitional character and stop my abandonment narrative in my family. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's the bigger picture, but, but um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's all doable, it's all proof, it's all science-based you know, evidence. Um, it took years to put all of this together. Um, and like I said, and you know, I'm, I'm the proof because I, I, was, I was a gangster, not a gangster gangster, but I, you know, I was in that, you're in the game. I was in that environment, you know, yeah. I mean, you know, it's very hard to believe, but I, because of fear, um, I even wrote around, I had a nine millimeter that was, that was with me, you know, a lot of the times and I had a bodyguard. Um, I lived that life that, um, you know, that was far from the life that I live now. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So people are saying, you know, people say, oh, well, you, you know, you can't change, you know, but you can, you, you can. can, you know, and the caterpillar isn't the butterfly. Yeah. You know, and it's just gestation. And that's what we, we tend to get confused about our gestational states. Yeah. And, and not recognize that, Hey, we're, we're now in this active state and, uh, and, and we need to let go of some of that stuff and, and move in, move into our, our whole and complete self that that's, no longer in the chrysalis, you know, it's got full wings. Let's do it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you brought up that metaphor, and it, but it's, that's the part where there's a messy part in the middle. Oh yeah. It's just gooey. It's messy. It's gooey and it's scary. Right. Yeah. Cause it's harder because the, on the subconscious level, you're letting go of who you think you are. But the funny thing about it is, and which we teach you this is like, you've already abandoned who you really are. Right. <laughs> you abandoned it as a child. And so you're actually returning back to who you truly are. You're being afraid of letting go of this false persona that you've adapted into for your survival strategies and your coping methods that are now starting to become maladaptive. Um, so the irony is that you're actually afraid of going back to your true self, letting go of this false persona that you've that you bought into that you really believe is, is, is who you are, but it's not. Right. And that whole stripping away, that whole stripping away is scary. Even, I mean, it can be dark and, and, you know, cause you're, you're basically undoing all your circuitry at some level and saying, we're rewiring this, this, this whole thing. Rewiring the whole thing. Yep. The dark night of the soul. It's not, not a joke. Yeah. 
And then there's, there's a, there's a little bit of free falling, you know, because if you're, if you, you know, think about it, like in space, if you untether, even if you have the, the, the new tether in, 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 in tow, when you're about to connect, yeah, it's that free fall of, okay, I've let go of this, but yeah. I haven't attached this yet. Right. And that's and be out in that's, space forever. That's the scary part. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the 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 uh, that is you're uncertain to what you're attaching to, even though you know we can sit there and say it's love, it's all bliss, whatever you're gonna, you know, is the fact that you haven't experienced it yet, right? It's all brand new. You're going into the unfamiliar, and your your nervous system is comfortable with the familiar, even if the familiar is chaotic, even if it's tragic, even if it's not serving you, it's still familiar. Uh, Stockholm syndrome, you yeah. know, yeah. we, we all get used to it. And that's what we were talking about earlier, just getting used to the pain, getting used to it so that you don't even see it anymore. And if you can't see it, you can't fix it, yeah. but others, others are going to see it if you are in pain. Yes. And, and you're going to, you're going to reflect upon the world in, in the way that you are. Yep. Yeah. I would say you, you, you don't see the world as it is. You see the world as you are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, Eric, bless you and thank you. And I am so grateful that we got to do this show. Yeah, I appreciate um, it. Yeah. So, uh, hey, y'all out there, um, go ahead and uh, follow the YouTube page, or, I mean, the Facebook and the YouTube for Help to Love. Help to Love. It's Eric's uh, brand new project going on. Uh-huh. And um, and it should be beautiful, should be fun, and it's going to help people and that's what's most important is that it's going to help people get to their better selves and uh so I'm, I'm really grateful to have people like you in this world who are helping others get to their to their better selves because we all need that we need a better world and it's going to take a whole lot of really good people pushing each other in in that direction uh, pulling maybe maybe they're pulling pulling yeah <laughs> yeah it's just you know it's it's for me, like, it's just a wonderful, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm a better parent. I'm a better, you know, friend. Yeah. I've improved all the way around. Um, and uh, I want other people to be able to experience that and stop suffering. You know what I mean? Especially yeah. when it's just, it's, it's, there's a solution. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. Any shout and, out to anybody in particular? Um, well, you know, I'm a, I, where I was inspired to do this was um, by a gentleman who is no longer with us by the name of Manny Aboyek. And so I always dedicate all, you know, I, I dedicate all of the, the courses to him. Um, he was he had turned the corner and it was on his path, um, but he had done too much damage to his body prior, you know, um, but he had found self-love and it's, it's all about just getting there. So, you know, I know yeah. he passed away peacefully, but, but uh, he, he was the one who during my suffering, you know, kind of moved me into, you know, with his daily um, gratitude practice and his daily um, posts of positivity and, and, and affirmations and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's amazing. So it's one person, one person had an impact on you. Yeah. And that's how we do it. You know, yeah. one, one at a time. For this sure. That's how we do it, baby. <laughs> All right. 
All right, I love Gary. you, man. I love you to pieces. I think you're an awesome human being, and I'm so grateful to have you in my life and me too, you know, man. Serving on different teams with me, and yeah, it's just been great. One of these days, we'll see each other in person, and uh, I think someone was talking about the gratitude um, meetup or something. Did yeah, Sharitha's talking about doing one in in Vegas. I'm all about Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you where are you at L.A. San Diego? I'm in L.A. I'm in LA. LA. Yeah. yeah. So I imagine there's a few down there. I don't know. Actually, the West Coast has been our challenge. You know, it's like you and me, Teresa. There's a couple, few more, but it, you know, started on the East Coast. We're still building it out. Yeah. Well, let's, 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 well, at least let's get the West Coast people together then. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. So Sharitha's, Sharitha's house. We'll do it. Okay. She's, she's working on getting herself. Uh, I think she's going to do an Airbnb, like, so she can buy herself a big house. She's going to Airbnb a big house. Okay. And, and kind of start airbnb be in that room out she's already doing it in her in her house now but now she's like well that's how i can do that you know yeah. she's she's pretty conniving she's she's a survivor that girl yeah yeah <laughs> all right well you enjoy the rest of your day and the rest of your weekend thank you so much um, beautiful yeah. hey y'all thank you I'm just going to a little wrap up here. Hey, y'all, thank you for listening to the Garland Pepper Presents podcast. Uh, if you want to support, there's a support mechanism, I guess, on one of the, on the browser somewhere. Wherever you're listening, there's something that says support. Go ahead and do that if you want. Um, listen on a regular basis, you know, and I'll start being more regular. How about that? We make a commitment. I'll start doing more regular shows if you listen on a regular basis, y'all. All right. Thank you, Eric. Thank you. All right, Gary. Have a great day. Yep.